Hello, listeners, and welcome to the lockdown series of the British Academy of Jewelry podcast. I'm Sophie Boons, and today I have invited another esteemed guest for a remote discussion. That the coronavirus crisis has caused significant disruption to most of our lives goes without saying. But for the economy, the situation has and continues to be particularly challenging. With a large segment of the trade forced to close their retail venues for the duration of the lockdown, many businesses, those running them, working in them or supplying them, have been affected. The question now is how do we navigate this situation? How do we keep going and what happens after? To discuss, I have invited Harriet Kelsall, the founder of Harriet Kelsall Bespoke Jewelry and chair of the National Association of Jewelers. Welcome, Harriet. Hello, nice to see you, Sophie. Harriet, you are well known in the industry. As an award-winning businesswoman, most listeners will know you. But can you still tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, of course. No problem. Gosh, I'm sure lots of people have never heard of me and wondering who the hell I am. But you're very kind. <laughs> um, but, um, but yes, I'm Harriet Kelson, as you say. And um, I started my own business from my kitchen table 22 years ago. I don't know where that time's gone. And a bit more recently, I've um, over the last sort of maybe 10, 10 years or so, I've been involved with the sort of in various industry bodies trying to help out a bit and, and trying to sort of uh, understand what's needed and uh, join the the effectively the board of of these jewelry associations a few years ago um and now i'm i'm in the chair of the national association of jewelers which is um exciting and challenging and difficult especially now um but also hugely rewarding i, I can't recommend volunteering for these associations enough because you know it's only volunteers that, that that make everything happen and pull the industry together and i've enjoyed every minute of it and met so many interesting people um and then i also volunteer on the board of the british hallmarking council which is very interesting um and a very different environment with lots of sort of weights and measures people but also a real understanding of you know why hallmarking so important and precious metals and that's that sort of technical side of things is, is, is fascinating and um, I've, I've uh, recently finished a term on the responsible jewelry council board as well and uh, something very close to my heart has always been trying to help the ethics in the industry move, move along because because you know we all think about the miners and the people at the bottom of the supply chain but also about how every business however tiny however much of a micro business can also have a really significant impact on its community and how positive that is and that's all about responsibility too whether it's about the well-being of your staff if you've got any whether it's about you know just making sure that you do something nice for your local school you know whatever it is there's there's responsibility everywhere in what, what we in what we do when we're successful businesses I think obviously it depends how you define success but for me um so yes I do a bit of that and uh, yes and, and spend time juggling that with uh, two kids and a cat and and, and somehow uh, manage to remain hopefully slightly sane in the middle of it all but it's all, all good I love being busy and I love doing different things I get bored if I do the same thing for too long so I like the diversity that all of that brings Wow, it's really clear that you're super passionate about the industry. What made you decide to become a jeweler and to join the industry? Could you tell us a bit more about that journey? Yeah, it's it's a long journey, so I'll, I'll try to um, abbreviate it a bit. But um, but my dad uh, was a jeweler as well as a doctor, quite, quite a weird combination. And so when I was um, was born, he was always trying to make ends meet because he worked for the NHS. So he would make jewelry in his spare time and sell it uh, to try to to help pay for bills and then later pay for school fees. And so when I was very young, I remember sitting at his 
feet um, when he was at his jewelry bench in the evenings and he'd drop things because he was tired and um, and I'd sort of pick them up and, and work out what they were and hand them back to him. And I remember being absolutely fascinated by the um, gemstone packets that he would have and opening these funny white pieces of paper and these stunning gems inside, absolutely fascinated like a magpie by the shiny things. Um, and so yes, my earliest memories really are of, um, of, of sitting watching him work. And so when I was about four, I, I wanted to make a ring and uh, he was amazing because he said, right, you know, you sit down and you, you draw what you're going to make and then we will make exactly what you've drawn. I, I, I drew a ring and it had um, a great big purple stone in it because that was my favourite colour at the time. And it had a rabbit on one side and a cat on the other, obviously. I was four. So, and then my dad said, you know, we're going to make exactly what you've drawn. And he said, you know, because you're a designer, you're not a sculptor, you need to draw it first and work out how you're going to make it. And so we did that. And, and then I made the whole ring myself. I remember him holding the blowtorch behind me so I didn't set fire to the house. Um, and, uh, and I absolutely loved it. I was completely hooked from then on. I was making jewellery. Um, so that's how I started that journey. But actually, I went into the computer industry first after school. I'm, I'm very dyslexic, but it wasn't, um, wasn't really known about back then. I'm very old. It was something that there wasn't much support for um, at my school. And so what I did was I just did the subjects that didn't include too many words. So I was quite good at, at maths and, and, and good at art. And then I, I, I managed to battle my way through physics, just hoping to join them together and make it look like design. My God, that was hard, but it was just about made it. And, uh, and then I went off and studied industrial design. But my mum, who'd, who'd had a very um, creative background, I've been to art school and, you know, had a terribly disastrous first marriage and ended up, you know, really struggling to make ends meet, said, you mustn't follow a creative path. You know, you, you are able to do this science stuff and engineering. So do that because you'll always have a job doing that. So I listened and I went into the computer industry and managed to earn a good living, but kind of hated it. And all the time I was making rings for my friends and started with it had ends up with a big client list um and uh and then i remember looking at it one day and thinking actually maybe maybe i could do this professionally maybe there's enough work here that i could actually do this thing and and what I was doing was I was designing and making things especially for the individual so I would sit down with them find out what they wanted what they liked and do lots of sketches and then they'd choose and I'd refine them and then I'd make what they wanted so I was doing a bespoke design service which at the time wasn't really a thing um, unless you you, had, you you know you had lots of money and you could go to one of the really high-end Bond Street jewelers um, you couldn't really do that and so I had this idea that it would be great to bring that to the high street in some way to make it reachable to make you know what why did I have to make a range of stuff and set it in a shop I didn't want to do that I wanted to be able to make for the individual in a way that they could afford and, and wasn't sort of very very unreachable um, and so that's why I started the business when I was 28 uh, in uh, 1998 was I 27 can't remember one or the other um, and uh, and so that's when I started the business and so I, I came into the industry that way but actually you know I, I didn't really know about the industry you know as far as I was concerned my dad just made jewelry at home and I wasn't really in an industry, you know, like, like most people who start jewelry businesses, I think, you know, I was just someone that loves jewelry and wanted to make it. I didn't, I didn't set out to start a business. I certainly didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what that meant. Couldn't spell it, still can't spell it. Um, and actually, you know, I just, I just wanted to make and make jewelry and, and bring that, bring what I, what I could to, to that world. And so 
I think that, you know, when you, when you start a business that way, you know, whether you're making or whether you're designing or retailing or whatever you're doing, you just do what feels right. And, and you, you fly by the seat of your pants, really. And you do the research that you need along the way and you figure out, oh, I've got to start a business to do this. Have I? Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess I'll do that then. And, and you, you sort of fumble through it. You know, it's not like we, we kind of all land in the industry with MBAs thinking, I'm going to start a business and here's my business plan. What, what the hell's that? You know, you, you just sort of, sort of do it, don't you? And then you, you turn around and think, oh, look, I started a business. Oh, yes. I better get on with it then. So, so yes, I did that. I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with that with that journey I suppose maybe the difference with me is that I decided to grow it um, and, uh, and and managed to do that which is is a challenge and you know I've made so many mistakes it's ridiculous and I'm sure you know about lots of them already Sophie it's a wonderful journey and I'm still on it and uh, you know and my goodness me this uh, this whole situation at the moment has has turned us all upside down hasn't it um, so yes any journey we thought we were on has suddenly changed you mentioned that you've made many mistakes and starting with a pioneering idea and then successfully running Harriet Kelso Bespoke Jewelry for now 22 years. Could you tell us how that business has evolved over the years? You've grown it. What were the steps? Gosh, um, there were lots of steps um, and probably not time to go into them all here. Um, I would say that, you know, at first I was just doing everything myself and I would be, you know, running around like like a sort of... Um, headless chicken um and so i would be seeing seeing a client at my kitchen table who'd come in to me because my friend recommended them or something um and and then i would sit down with them and they'd say oh i want an engagement ring and i we talk about it and then i do some drawings and then i would rush off to London to buy materials for that and all of the other people I'd been speaking to and I'll be doing my very basic website at the same time which was uh, you know it was it was 1996 when I started a website so it was rustic it was very rustic I'm going to say it was it was sort of a, a page that said we can make jewelry especially for you and uh, and that was all it said I think and then there was just a picture of some jewelry I'd made so it was just a sort of cue to to my service but there weren't many people looking at the internet I think I was really lucky with the timing of that because I'd been in the computer industry. I knew about it. So I had this website and actually I started to look at this website and it started to bring in a lots of customers. And so even though I was only in my, on my kitchen table, you know, that I hacked into some workbench at home, I was actually getting clients, more clients than one would imagine you would. And, and so um, I started to realize the internet was quite powerful. And then, um, and so a kind of a big step for me was, was making that realization and thinking, do you know what, I may have a service that people aren't really doing at the moment, you know, creating jewelry, especially for people. But I've also got a route for market here that I think might grow. And I hummed and hard about it. And then again, again, Sophie, I've probably told you this story before, but I, I had this, um, this uh, lady who phoned me who wanted a, an emergency tiara. Um, sorry, it just makes me laugh. I was thinking, you know, we've all been in that situation. I just do need an emergency tiara. I, I could do with one today, frankly, especially on lockdown. She had a, her wedding. It was a Thursday and she had a wedding on Saturday and she'd been let down by a retailer and didn't have her tiara. And could I help? And, and I, I sort of said to her, well, I can help you, but what, what am I going to make you? I don't know you. I, you know, these were, you couldn't ping people photos back in those days. You know, you, you, you had snail mail or nothing. So I was like, right, well, okay, you talk to me about what you want. I'll draw some drawings. And then have you ever heard this thing called the internet? And she said, uh, yes, I think I've heard of this thing called the, I think my brother's friend, who's a real geek, has got that thing called the internet. And so anyway, I did these sketches right away, 
uploaded it to this you know huge long address with backslashes and numbers and percentage signs in it as it was in those days and then I told her this address and I said type it in really carefully and she did this and and she looked at the sketches and she chose one and so that meant that that afternoon I could get on and make it and I got it into the post the next day and it was there in time for her wedding and it all worked really well and I remember thinking the internet's really powerful because it lets you put pictures out there to the world so not only can you advertise your service you can actually use it to actually shape what you're making for people at a distance she was in Scotland I think that was a big step and then the next step would be moving out of my home into into a a little sort of converted part of a farm uh, down the road from me and I, I chose the location because it was very well connected to London and Cambridge and actually not too far away from from an airport because I sort of had had a feeling I might grow things and then I guess their next step would be I was very reliant on Google because I was still in a rural place. I liked the idea of being in a rural place because I didn't like the idea of bringing customers to town centres where it was all a pain and parking and one-way systems and uh, pollution and yuck. I just wanted to, to have them to come into the countryside and find a beautiful place and relax and just spend an hour chatting to me about jewellery and that for it to all be really nice and easy um, and, and to enjoy the experience of it. And so I'd done all of this and it was great and, and I managed to work out how to optimise things for Google myself for a while. But then um, I remember Google got a bit scary because they were just changing their algorithms randomly and I realised I had all my eggs in one basket and I needed some bricks and mortar on the high street. So that's when I opened the Cambridge shop was the next step, which was actually 14 and a half years ago. Um, and then um, and then after that, I opened a, a London shop about nearly two years ago. Um, so, you know, there have been sort of steps along the way. Honestly, don't know where the time's gone, but those are probably the main the main steps. Wow, it's really inspirational. I mean, you've used your experience to also write an award-winning book, Creative's Guide to Starting a Business, which has won the best startup inspiration book award in the 2019 Business Book Awards. Yes, I, I, guess I honestly can't believe it. It's so funny. I wish I could um, see my old English teacher because I, I was so dyslexic, but she was so supportive. She used to say, you know what, you really, you know, you really don't know how to spell or anything, but what you actually say is really quite good. And I can't believe I've written a book. I can't believe someone published it for me. And I also can't imagine how I won that award. I'm just amazed. Um, but but also I've just recorded the audio book version as well, which is now out on Amazon too, which is uh, felt really important to me because I love audio books and podcasts. <laughs> Happily, I'm not just saying that um, because, you know, when you're dyslexic, it's the way you want to listen to stuff. And also, do you know what? I think it's the way most people want to, want to do stuff now. You, if you're doing the housework or something boring or, you know, in the garden or doing perish the thought exercise once a day no I do do it I, I do do it but I, I like to listen to podcasts when I'm doing it because it keeps me going or audiobooks and so I thought you know I need to do this as an audiobook because this is what's gonna you know be much easier for people to listen to so it's out on an audiobook now it was a big thing writing that book I'd been mentoring various other creatives along the way for, for quite a few years and I'd noticed all these common threads between the mistakes they made the things they found successful and the things that I said that helped them find success and so I'd started to think you know maybe I need to just write some of this stuff down because maybe it could be useful for somebody and then I interviewed a load of other entrepreneurs who have, have um, had some success in creative entrepreneurship of different kinds. 
And then I, when I interviewed them, I found even more common threads and I couldn't believe it. You know, they're all different creatives. There's jewelers, there's an upholsterer, there's an artist, a sculptor, perfumer, a fashion designer, photographer, all, all sorts. There's lots of different people, potters, all sorts of different people in there. And yet these, all these different industries, same common threads about the kind of things you need to think about. And also just maybe saying it in the language of, of the creative instead of, MBA corporate speak. I don't really do that. So, um, so yeah, that's why I wrote it. And um, I'm, I'm just delighted that it's been helpful. And it's really nice because people, a few people have written really nice reviews and, and stuff. And, and, and I think it's helping people, which is um, what, what it was for. Well, there's obviously no time like the present to read something if you have got nothing on at the moment. So lots of people who are out there who are thinking of starting their business, particularly graduates or, you know, students at the British Academy of Jewelry, I hope they'll have an opportunity to read it. If there is one thing you'd like them to take away from the book, what would it be? When you're starting a business, do just remember to define what your definition of success is first because it's different for everybody and sometimes there's a big conflict between creative success and financial success and sometimes people are actually have a really successful business that they're really proud of but they don't feel successful because they're judging themselves by other people's definitions of success you know for example some people saying well if you're not a household name no then you're not successful well actually i just wanted a shop you know or i just wanted to be a stone setter I, I want to do this this and i want i want to make this much money and i want it to fit into my life or other people being held back by people saying don't work so hard when actually their vision of success is, is massive and they want to they want to go there let them go there so that's the main thing but i mean the other thing i wanted to say i think a lot of people sadly are having a terrible time and are furloughed at the moment and not able to work it must be horrible and for them i think any kind of reading or studying that they can do is just a wonderful thing because then it can be, you know, we can come out of lockdown even better than before. And there's lots of fascinating training stuff around. I don't know if you know about the Jeweler Support Network uh, is really helpful. It's got loads of links from the Goldsmiths and all sorts of different organisations and obviously the NHA. Um, and that's really helpful. And also there's loads of free training going on at the moment. You know, we at the National Association of Jewellers are giving our Jet Essentials course, which is like a kind of dry driving license in jewelry retail away from uh, very basic retail training but brilliant you know really helpful stuff if, if people are just getting into the industry um, and then there's also a really good De Beers course um, offered free at the moment which is the, the foundation of diamonds I think and it's normally about I think it's nearly 300 quid and that's free at the moment it's really good and yeah there's all sorts of training and stuff going on so yeah absolutely a time to invest in yourself and instead of just feeling awful about being furloughed and how horrible this situation is try and absorb yourself in some of that and um and what, what better than to uh to to get uh you know up to your neck in interesting jewelry stuff as you mentioned during the lockdown our lives drastically changed from one day to the next is it possible to continue running a successful business at this challenging time and do you have any tips on how it's done yeah, I don't know. I think I think what's difficult about this kind of time is whether your business is naturally going to remain successful is very much dependent on what you're able to do and what you happen to be doing. So business as it was is not the same anymore. And so for jewellers, it's very difficult because we've, we've got, you know, retailers obviously had to close um, because it's obviously not essential. But manufacturers, anyone making jewellery really has to carry on if they can safely 
because when we're not supposed to close, you know, we, we've got to keep the economy going, we've got to keep the industry going. And so everyone's sort of trying to find ways of working safely. And then, you know, the, the designer makers are struggling because maybe, you know, some of the bullion dealers will, will close. They're open again now, happily. But, you know, so, so it's all this sort of, you know, how, how can I keep going when the industry seems to be against me? And so there was this real kind of rabbit in the headlights confusion of, of what do we do but I think now that that's settling down I think it is possible to run a successful business but it's it's difficult to maintain the level of um, business that we were all experiencing before so you know we, we offer bespoke consultations online and we always have so we've been lucky in that respect but it's not as if there's hundreds and hundreds of people queuing up for online consultations anyway right now because people are worrying about you know they're they're their purse strings so it's challenging and you know I've got um you know 30 of my 40 staff are furloughed at the moment which is, is just awful I hate not having them around and I hate doing that but you know they understand you know they all want to keep working but they can't um but we're managing to run on a skeleton staff at the moment most of most of us are working from home and then we've got three or four that one, one of them rotates in in our our um workshop which is in Hertfordshire and it's it's very big so they're socially distanced to the extreme and they're all using their own loo and all sorts of things so, so they're very safe but um they're they're keeping it all going is it successful i i don't know i mean we're, we're able to to run things with a team of 10 but that's not success how I knew it but I think that there's a lot of really positives at the moment I think somebody said to me yesterday in the Sibjo seminar I think it was um got the guy from the New York Association um in America and the New York the Jewelers Association and he was saying that um he was saying you know you know what love isn't quarantined and one thing that we sell, we sell love stories when we're selling jewellery. We sell that connection with other people that we're all missing so much. And, you know, everybody's desperately loving and missing everyone they can't give that hug to. You know, we've all not seen our mum for ages and, you know, everything like that. And, and jewellery is a symbol of, of that connection. So I do think that it will come back. Um, and, and I do think that when people come out of quarantine, they're wanting to be marking these moments and but it will take time but then what is wonderful you know someone that is always interested in what's new and what's coming up is that I think there will be innovation and I think there will be entrepreneurs who fill gaps that we didn't even know existed I mean who knew that we were going to be all trying to buy face masks for our staff and ourselves and our customers you know a couple of months ago who knew that I mean what's that about and now people tell me a face mask is going to become a fashion accessory I mean blimey so you know there's stuff that's happening that's crazy but it also not just a big you know obvious thing like that there'll be there'll be services there'll be ways to offer things which will be different and and new new businesses and businesses that are established can be agile and small business has the power to be really agile and that's exciting you know the big businesses I was talking to a few of them uh, over the last few few days um, about how what they're going to do about after lockdown you know how they're going to deal with people trying jewelry and all this kind of stuff and and they'll they'll be all right they'll they'll find ways of doing it but what they can't do is react and give this experience that the small businesses can do because we can change and move quite easily so i think there's a lot of opportunity for small business trying to find new ways and new niches to to really expand what they're already doing or to change what they're doing and to find new ways of reaching people and personally i think that 
there's going to be a huge need in society for symbols of connection and love and and hopefully us jewelers can find ways to ways to, to do that even better so hopefully we'll find a new kind of success and and also i think what we need to do is not just be as good as we were before all of this at the end of it we need to be better actually and we will be better and as an industry we're really good at collaborating and we're really good at helping each other you know i mean look at the look at the british society of jewelry you know i mean it's amazing you know everyone you one someone asks a question there's 20 answers instantly it's fantastic um and same with the national association of jewelers you know someone's got a problem let's fix it you know we're all there and we're all working together um like on the, on the joy support network to, to really try to um try to help each other and and i think it's more the industry is more collaborative than ever um which which can only be a good thing yeah i imagine many brands and and businesses will have coped differently at the end of this you mentioned it's worth sharing this this knowledge this information what format do you think this should take well i think i think the forum already exists to share it across all of our organizations like like yours and and, and ours and all the rest of it uh, on the on the joy support network um and so i think you know watch that space there's lots of interesting stuff going up there so for example we we at the um national association of jewelers at the moment are working at the moment on a um a document to help retailers in particular know what to do post lockdown and it's a really detailed document that's really helpful about all the things you should be thinking about and there was something that came out of the british retail consortium the other day but this is much more detailed and much more industry specific um and so that's something that we'll be sharing on there um and and so you know all kinds of information will come out on there but also i think there's lots of um interest in connection and um, talking to each other. So, so at the at the National Association of Jewelers, we're running twice a week on Mondays and Wednesdays at 11. We're running these coffee mornings, which are just wonderful. And people, anyone can just come along and just join in, uh, ask about it and you can join on, you get this link and, and you just join in and chat. And it's great because sometimes people saying, oh, I did this and it worked. Other people are going, oh my God, what am I gonna do about this? And, and everyone helps each other. And also, you know, if there's someone there the NAJ will try and help if they can and so that's a wonderful thing just that just the chat um, and then they're also doing a load of seminars um, there were a couple one on well-being last week and there's one from a um, quite a well-known um, uh, blogger a jewelry blogger and so there's all sorts of interesting in surrounding information uh, um, going on as well so I think there's lots going on at the NAJ and uh, yeah keep watching the jewelry support network page for for more I mean I know you guys are, are on there too which is fabulous um, uh, collaborating with it but um, yeah the NAJ is putting stuff on there you know most several times a week yeah, I think also it's going to be incredibly important for all of us to continue connecting because it's not going to be easy at the moment the lockdown is lifted. I think it's going to continue to be slightly difficult for all of us where, wherever you are in, the, in, a, in a business or in a brand. The thing is, there's going to be all sorts of issues when we come out of lockdown We're, you know, we're going to have to, you know, our staff are going to have to come back to work and they've got to feel safe and they've got to be safe and just feel safe. Um, and obviously our customers have to feel safe to come to us. And so there's going to be all kinds of things we're going to have to deal with and adaptions we're going to need to make to our, our businesses. And as I say, this is where small business is lucky being agile. But, but also, you know, we've got to be mindful of the fact that some people are not going to be able to come out. Now, if, if, if some of my staff have had that letter from the NHS, 
NHS saying stay in. So I don't know if they're going to be able to come back to work, even if they want to and are very capable of doing so. Um, so we're going to have to figure out how to how to work with them from from their own locations. And then also some customers might not want to come in. They might want to, to meet us in the car outside and we're going to have to deal with the security implications of that. Furthermore, I think when it comes to to us as a society, I think that, my God, are we going to need ways to connect and give each other a hug aren't necessarily a hug after all of this you know I can't I don't know how I'm going to see my team again and my customers again without giving them a hug when when I'm allowed to do that but we're going to have to we're going to have to figure it out and and then you know when we can actually physically connect again we are going to need some serious events to go on to bring us all together again it feels like such a long time ago doesn't it that we were all in a room at some jewelry event and and yeah it'll happen again we'll, we'll get there again we've been talking about sort of changes quite specifically but do you think there'll be a bigger change from this experience in the retail environment in general i think that there'll be huge changes not only in the retail environment but in in everybody's lives i think you know, whilst there's been negativity to some extent from this, I'm sure, sadly, some some jewelry businesses and other businesses will will fail as a result of this, especially those that were already struggling and those that maybe were close to retirement might just think, Do you know what, I'm out of here. Don't want to, you know, be an entrepreneur again today. So there'll be there'll be tragedies. But also, I think, as I say, there will be opportunities. But I think that a lot of what we've done has been positive And a lot of this sort of introspective time if that doesn't sound too pretentious (laughs) has actually been maybe quite useful so for example a few months ago people were being still quite resistant to the idea of flexible working or people working from home and even though we, we were doing it but you know maybe we should have been doing it more and other businesses weren't really doing it at all and yet we've all discovered you know what we can do quite a lot on Zoom and it's all right. Uh, and so I do think that that there'll be, um, you know, more that's done in a different way, you know, whether it's more, more meetings from home, maybe it's better work-life balance situation. And I think everybody's going to experience a, a change. Um, I also think there's going to be a great appreciation for face-to-face contact. And I think it will be more valued and uh, especially when we can see each other's faces again, when we don't have to wear masks again, if we're going to have to wear masks, I don't know, in our retail environments, I think there's going to be a big um, appreciation of that, a celebration of, of that, that contact that we're able to do. And I think from a retail point of view, I think there's already been a big change. I mean, it's all gone online, of course, hasn't it, which was happening anyway. But I think also people are thinking it's all gone online now. And now I really miss those shops, you know, so I think there's, there's also a bit, there'd be a bit of a pushback to okay online's convenient but you know what I really I really do wish I could have seen those shoes before I bought them because they, they hurt or whatever it may be um, so I think retail will will change and evolve be more appreciated and 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 maybe I think everything was getting quite polarized before all of this happened you know I mean everything actually not just retail you know it was kind of the high street was getting a bit weird like people were either going to, to shopping centers or they were shopping online and I think that people have really missed the independent stores. So I, th- I think that that will have a little bit of a comeback, I hope. And I also think that, you know, the polarisation is a societal thing. I think there's a lot of loneliness. I think people have been, before all of this, people were sitting inside and then going to work and then coming back and then ordering things on Amazon and connecting with people on social media and not really terribly happy. And I think now that we've all gone through this, I think that everyone's more aware of that. 
my, my personal opinion is that retail has a place to bring people together in different ways retail needs to be more than just shopping it needs to be experiences it needs to bring workshops it needs to bring interest it needs to bring stimulation it needs to give people reasons to come out of their homes and connect with each other in ways that aren't necessarily buying stuff at all so i think there's going to be some very interesting change and i i think that the, maybe the days of going into a shop and buying something and going home and thinking that that's enough. I think, I, I think they may be over in some ways. It depends what you're buying. I mean, it is enough if you're buying your loo roll, isn't it? If you can. Um, but you know, when, when it comes to something, something a bit more emotional, I think people are, people are ready to, to understand the need for, for, for something more than just a transaction. Thinking about jewelry in particular, sometimes seeing an object in front of you or having that conversation to understand it and to ask the questions directly. I think we've now all realized that those things are really important for all of us. Yeah, and that actually it's as much about the conversation as it is about the thing. And maybe that stop people over shopping as well, um, but also, you know, make, help people to understand their connection with other people and the importance of that um, and, and how symbols may be important, but, but maybe material items aren't, don't quite have the level of importance they thought they did. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting seeing where this goes. You know, everything's been thrown up in the air and we're really not sure where it's going to land. And all we can do is hope that we can all figure a way to work together and work through it and and find our way out the other side in in a new and wonderful place some of the audience listening as you touched upon might be going through quite a difficult time of uncertainty and that can be for a range of reasons as an experienced member of the trade and having had to make some difficult decisions yourself do you have any advice sort of how to cope with that I think, you know, I think we're all struggling with that at the moment, you know, established or not established. And I think there's there's some really unlucky timing for some people who may have just been starting and launching a wonderful business. And now this has happened or, you know, or people who've, who've, who've had terrible personal tragedies. It's a really difficult time. But I, I think actually um, my advice would be to talk to other people, um, which is, is, feels difficult at the moment. And, and as I say, especially, you know, with mental health worries, with people being on lockdown, it feels especially difficult, especially if you're not somebody that naturally connects with so many people. It can feel really hard to pick up the phone to someone or an organisation that can help, like the British Society of Jewellers or the, or the National Association of Jewellers or goldsmiths or whoever whoever is there you know really is there to help and so i think talking to people is really important but i also think i want to let people know about two charities um which always surprises me not everybody knows about in the jewelry industry and those are the jewelers benevolent society and also the naj's educational trust and they're both charities which are there to help people in need so especially the benevolent society they can help people just by buying a kettle buying a washing machine, helping out. They've got funds that they can help those in, in, in real difficulty who are in the jewellery industry with. That's what they're there for. They can also help people who want to get a qualification so that they can get, you know, progress in the industry. Uh, both of the charities will help with that. You can get full funding if you need it to do that, if that will help you out of whatever whatever situation you're in. So they're, they're not just for education, though, but for, for general need, uh, those charities can really help. The lovely people that, that run them are, are very easy to talk to. So, so do have a look. The, the links to those are both on the National Association of Jewellers website as well. 
Thank you so much. That's really good advice. Um, you've been in lockdown also. Have you been doing anything specific to keep busy, keep going? Gosh, I've just been really busy, um, you know, what with my own business and then trying to help. I've not really experienced the quietness that some people have struggled with. What have I been doing? I think what's been quite interesting for me has been um, the juggle with home education because uh, I've got two kids, um, one of whom is a bit older, so he's more self-sufficient. But it's been a real struggle having to try and uh, fit in helping my daughter find the link to whatever she's supposed to be doing um, at the same time. Uh, so I've enjoyed spending a lot more time with my kids um, in, in a way. <laughs> in a way. Um, <laughs> I'm also really looking forward to them going back to school in another way. <laughs> um, but I'm sure, I'm sure lots of other parents can relate to me on those points. Um, and also when I have had the odd time when I haven't been able to, to, to go anywhere, but I've, I've just run out of steam for work I've been doing lots of cooking and lots of gardening and cleaning out cupboards I wish I'd had more time for that really I, I'm a terrible cupboard cleaner I, I could clean my cupboards all day I don't but I could so yes there, there's been a bit of that going on as well but uh, a bit of DIY I've managed to fix the door that um, the door lock that's been broken forever I got my screwdrivers out and a uh, little drill and uh, managed to spend the time doing that so yeah that kind of thing We've, I've also the other thing I've been doing actually is making quite a lot of videos for the business uh, with my son who's who's 14 he's been videoing me doing things like showing people how to clean their engagement rings me having people connecting with us saying oh, I'm really worried I'm washing my hands but what do I do about my ring is it dirty and is it safe to wash my hands with it and all this kind of thing so we, I did a video on that and then we ended up doing a whole series of little videos which are just on our YouTube channel and on things like I think I ended up doing a cuttlefish casting the other day really randomly uh, as well I've been videoing anything been that's been quite fun and um, uh, yeah lots of clean jewelry in different ways clean how to clean pearls how to clean chains and uh, we did one the other day on um, on diamonds which actually I need to check I haven't said anything too mad because I haven't listened back to it yet but yeah there's been a bit of that going on as well that's amazing so yeah I, I think the last thing I'd say is just you know remember everybody that we, we're all in this jewelry industry because we love jewelry we always say in my, my business once you've got the jewelry bug it never leaves you um, and and actually it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. And, and we never want to lose that love of the gemstones and the jewelry and, and actually just the love that it brings. And, and as I said earlier, love isn't quarantine. So, so try and remember your enjoyment for that through, through your worry. Because I think that when you love what you do, you will find a way to find your way to that success. So if you're feeling really unsuccessful at the moment, I think you're going to find your way back. Because remember that what you love will bring you will bring you what you need in the end. Um, so yeah, so so good luck everyone out there. It's tough, but let's all collaborate together and help each other, and um, we'll be okay. Whatever role you occupy in the industry today, I think it's fair to say the disruption and uncertainty has been significant for nearly all of us. But our industry is resilient, and we supply and sell something people have been producing and wanting for as long as civilization has existed. It is important to take a moment, as Harriet says, to reflect on this new reality and how we each can adapt and learn from the situation. Even though it's a challenge, it can be overcome. There might not be one way that fits all, but I'm confident that by sharing our experiences, we'll be able to make a positive change that will far outlast the coronavirus time. For now, I just would like to thank Harriet for joining me for this remote discussion. We're very grateful for your advice insights and time today. Thank you, Harriet.
It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sophie. See you again soon. Next week, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. For now, this was Sophie Boons for the lockdown series of the BHA podcast titled Facing Change in Uncertain Times in conversation with Harriet Kelsall. I wish you a good weekend and thank you for listening.